Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 43. This week's poem is The Poem Where I Lie About Everything by Rudy Francisco, a poem that a friend and read teacher, Terry DeBarger, shared with me last year. It is simultaneously a lot of fun and also kind of a lot of work, and I look forward to seeing how my students respond to a poem they are told up front is a lie. Before we get to Francisco, we must return to The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman. And before we do that, I need to confess to a silly mistake. In last week's poem, I referred to Gorman's use of the second-person perspective. The only problem is that she doesn't actually use this perspective in the poem. Not even once. Uh, Second-person perspective is where the speaker uses you, makes you the subject of a sentence. Think of choose-your-own-adventure books, and you pretty much got it. Uh, no. Gorman is using the first-person plural pronoun, we, throughout the poem. Thankfully, I was quickly corrected by my students. As to the poem itself, I have too much good analysis to share. Students just really did excellent work here. I'm very impressed. And before I can really show you why, we need to make sure the poem itself is fresh in our minds. So, before we get to the analysis, here is Amanda Gorman, delivering the hill we climb at the inauguration of President Joseph Biden Jr. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace in the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together, victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. 
If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it, because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a forest that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert. How could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the wind-swept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Okay, uh, there, there is a lot here. Uh, I grabbed arguably too many quotes and details that students wrote about. And so I, hopefully this isn't a huge episode, but my goodness, does it deserve to be. I'm going to start out by pointing to how students talked about the tone. And not everyone did, although many students kind of suggested and alluded to it. But a couple focused directly on him. One student says that the, there is a prideful tone here that allows you to understand the genuine care for the country that the speaker has and for its future inhabitants. The student said the speaker held a strong voice filled with determination and motivation, and that was present on every line. Throughout the poem, they say, rhymes come into play that make the poem bring out more emphasis and, and power. Another student said on a similar note that this is a proud nation learning from its mistakes rather than making them disappear entirely 
from history, or at least that is what Gorman seems to be proposing we are or can be. And an important part of those mistakes that are present in the poem that students identified had to do with racial inequality. A student said that people should not be scared to go on a walk and sleep in their own house. People need to work together to see if racism is a very real issue in America. And a few students pointed to the line where Gorman says that a skinny black girl descended from slaves can dream of becoming president and find herself reciting a poem for one. Which, this is an interesting grab, I think. When you hear this poem, the initial connection to that is a feeling of progress and hope, but there's something else there that some students cleverly grabbed onto. Uh, a student says that the speaker dreamed of doing something and making a difference in their country. But another said that this actually proves that, once again, the world has become better, yet there's still more to do from it. Another points to the fact that because this is a dream, this is again showing the hill that America has climbed since our founding, saying that discrimination of black people is still happening. It is still a dream. We haven't got there yet. Although at least one student did make a connection between this line and the vice presidency of Kamala Harris. So there's a, a mixed bag here. And even in a line that seems hopeful, students are recognizing that there's weaknesses, there's progress that still needs to be made. Now, for obvious reasons, because I mentioned this as part of our secret passphrase, even if I pointed students in the wrong direction, point of view ended up being a focus for many students. One says that Amanda Gordon emphasizes that we as a country should be able to heal each other and work together to help fix this country, and that we is an important part that students grabbed onto. One pointing to the line that says, we are the successors. They say, this means that we need to finish what is unfinished, we, and we need to complete what is not done, and we have to do that by looking forward. A student says that the we shows that everyone is together, not of a higher class or a lower class, but as equals. Another says, the use of this first-person plural point of view shows that it is all of our responsibility as a country to close up the divide and put our differences aside so we could finally come to be the country we say that we are. And elsewhere, it says the world must change even more than it has, and it needs to be better than ever before. The people of this world can only accomplish this, and we have to work together. And although I did leave, and although I did lead students astray uh, by encouraging them to talk about the second person, it, it was something that could be explored in a way that's logical by pointing to what isn't in the poem. And a student says that the speaker never refers to the second person pronoun you because she wants to talk about everyone in unity, not just as individuals, with another saying that the lack of second person conveys that the problems the nation faces are not an individual's fault, but ours as a whole. The use of we, they say, leads to the feeling of unity. And the same for the use of we and us throughout the poem. It gives the impression that there's this first-person perspective. That these are the struggles that she's had to personally deal with that we individually have to deal with as well. So it is a collective responsibility, and each person within that collective responsibility has their share to carry. And then another student points to the very end and says, at the very end of this, Gorman continues her first-person speaking, which helps to make this more personal and a direct message that is passed along from her, from her own experiences. And there is language in here that a student thought was really connected to this personalized message. 
uh, student says that the use of bronze and pounded to describe her dark skin reminds me of a wounded warrior, perhaps from deprivation in society. Um, and this is Leiden chiming in. Um, I think this is a really interesting idea. For me, though, when I hear this bronze pounded skin, it makes me think of uh, the hammering of metals to create armor, for example, where over time you beat that piece of metal until it is heated and formed into something that can protect. In this way, there's a, a history of struggle and challenge and maybe abuse that when we rectify those issues and, rec and, and recognize them can make us ultimately stronger, even if we were weaker once before. Uh, this connection to the past is something that students pointed to, too. One should uh, use the quote that says, We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and says that this past tense, this saying that our past experiences lead us to realize that staying quiet isn't always the best option, is important. It's about looking at our history of doing that and improving upon it. Along this line, a student says that what defines a country is what it has come from and how it has changed for the better. It is defined by the people who fought to protect people's rights to be treated like everyone else. And of course, that is a fight that is still ongoing. And students talk about this. One interesting aspect of the analysis here, which is the result of a wonderful poem by Gorman, of course, is that it does explore the past, the present, and the future. Uh, and a student says that by giving off this faith that future generations would make the country better than the one we were left with. We have a poem that is aspirational, that is motivational. So student says that America is a country that is more than capable of becoming a better country, of learning from our mistakes, to become a better version of ourselves. And this poem, according to a student, might be a big part of this. They say that this poem may be a big influence for a lot of people, and People will strive to be more like Gorman, use her as a model in the future. Another says that this is a poem about the problems that people are facing that they shouldn't have to be facing, and they hope that one day they won't have to face those problems anymore. And the title of this poem is an important part of that, according to some students, with one saying that I think the title of Gorman's poem correlates to the poem because it shows that there is this massive hill that our nation will need to climb for our country to be better. On top of all these great pieces of analysis of the details of the overall themes of the text, we also have some really interesting things happening uh, with the structure, which of course I always appreciate. Uh, if you can play around with the structure and how things are functioning inside the poem, it's really interesting and clever, and I, I geek out over that stuff. So uh, on, that, on that line, I have a student, for example, that says the speaker's use of alliteration contributes to the idea that our country is changing for the better by having these sounds that seem to collaborate and to work together that are reflections of themselves. The poem seems to represent the ideas in its sounds. Another student points to the rhyme and a particular clever bit of rhyme in there. The student says that her choice of using just is to match with a just is in the sentence just before signifies that our unjust actions are barely noticeable, which, my goodness, this blows me away. Yes, it's a very clever turn of phrase, but it also has this connection with, yeah, we can easily ignore 
that thing that's present. And another student points to a really clever idea that I hadn't thought of myself. Uh, and it's specifically about the shape of the story overall, or the shape of the poem overall. This student says that if you turn the poem on its side, it kind of looks like a bunch of hills. The peaks of the hills, which be, would be the most extended lines, are when the narrator's efforts and the people she's talking about pay off the most. So there's a, a visual, uh, almost a spatial aspect to the line length and what it means for us as a country where we rise and improve and then we struggle and fall short of our ideals, but then we push past and work and strive to be better again. And I think this is a very clever reading. Uh, certainly poets think about the structure that they're trying to create. It is worth noting, of course, that the text of the poem that I've provided for students is not the final version. Uh, Gorman has not published this poem just yet, so we don't know what the actual final form of it will be. It's possible that the line lengths, the punctuation, those kind of things might be different. But this kind of way of visualizing and taking meaning away from the actual visual structure of the poem, I think is fantastic. I love it. And I bet we might end up seeing some of that even in the final product. Finally, some students made connections to other texts, things that are outside of this poem. Um, one of the most interesting and unexpected uh, was actually to a video game. The student says that the catastrophe that cannot prevail over us uh, seems to be related to the student, to the lack of maybe trust and honesty that exists in our nation right now, be it uh, in politics or with other things. And the student said that this mistrust and deceit is represented really well in one of our most popular video games, which is Among Us, which of course the game is about people on a space station secretly murdering each other and trying to find out who done it, and then lying about who done it to try to win. It's a surprising but very clever connection. There are also connections to founding documents. A student said that Americans are still far from pristine, but aren't striving to form a union that is more perfect. And they said that this is reminiscent of the preambles uh, to form a more perfect union. And that's one of the statements of our constitution, or at least the preamble. Um, and this idea that we are still working with this, according to the student, is now about how we must forge a union with purpose. As Gorman says, there were also connections to Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, especially in the general tone and concept of the future and what it might bring. And another student connected this all to Hamilton. Uh, the student said that just like Hamilton, this is motivating many listeners to learn about the ugly past of America and how people committed themselves to fixing it and how they can commit to fixing it now, which is great. Also, worth mentioning, Gorman says she actually put in some Easter eggs to reference Hamilton because she just appreciates that play so much. This is a big poem, certainly the longest that we have actually used as a class. And I think for that reason, I'm not surprised that a lot of these responses were longer and more developed and covered things that I still wasn't able to include in here. But my goodness, have we covered some wonderful things from perspective, the past, the future, the sound, these issues of racial justice. There's so much that students have done with this poem. And there is still more to be done. With at least one student commenting, they stopped writing because there was too many other things to explore. And that's totally appropriate. 
Sometimes with a big work, you have to focus on specific, narrow portions of it because it's too big to attack as a whole. But overall, wonderful analysis all around. I am very impressed. Now, our next poem is the poem where I lie about everything. Right off the bat, I hope my students don't trust this poem's speaker. After all, how can this poem be where the speaker lies about everything? Wouldn't that mean that the title is also a lie? This means, as we listen to the narrator, we'll have to ask questions about what we can trust and what we can't. Maybe it is worth considering why a speaker would want everything here to be a lie. Certainly some of these statements are. But is everything a lie? And on top of that, what's with the random typo in the poem? Why would the speaker give us a hint that they can make mistakes, that they can let things slip like that? It seems obvious, then, that we should use the word truth as our secret passphrase. As to the writing task, this one might stretch students a little bit. For this week's writing task, I ask that students use two quotations in the same sentence. This becomes much easier if you use very short quotes or even single words. If we did this with Gorman's poem, we might say that she wants her bronze-pounded chest to emerge battered and beautiful in a new improved America. Now, in her poem, there are ten lines between those two quotes, bronze-pounded chest, emerge battered and beautiful. But because they are expressing connected ideas, I can link them into a single sentence like that. Students, as you listen to the poem, think about how different parts work together, so that you might be able to use two quotes to express a single idea. Just be sure that you're not changing the original meaning of those quotations. Here's the poem. The Poem Where I Lie About Everything by Rudy Francisco. I'm six foot two, I weigh 225 pounds, and I know, I know what you're thinking. The answer is no, I don't like basketball. Yes, the way my parents look at each other reminds me that love still exits. Yes, I love swimming. Yes, I'm an only child, and they are still married. Exists. That was a typo. Yes, my grandmother is still alive. Yes, I'm fine. Yes, I'm always fine. No, I'm not just saying that so you'll leave me alone. Yes, I'm happy. I smile so much my face hurts. Yes, that is the only pain I'm familiar with. Yes, when people say good luck, I laugh and tell them I'm a rabbit's foot wrapped in a four-leaf clover. Yes, when someone says have a good day, I say too late, already happening. My eyes? Oh, allergies. My hands? They shake like this all the time. The doctor says it's normal, no big deal, just ignore it. Yes, I'm comfortable talking about my feelings. Yes, ask me anything. Yes, I'm lovable. No, I'm not lonely. No, I'm not exhausted. No, I'm not under a lot of pressure. No. 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 Yes, I slept really well last night. I woke up around 7, made a breakfast, I felt guilty, then I went for a run. Students, be sure to use two quotations in one sentence for your writing task and the word truth as your secret passphrase. These are both required for full credit. Keep in mind, by the way, that you'll still want to use evidence in other sentences. 
And don't forget our other writing tasks. These are good writing practices no matter what we are doing, so consider including brief summaries, short quotations. Avoid the word quote. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. And any evidence you use should be short, embedded smoothly in your sentence, and fully explained. A quick reminder about claims. They must require proof. If your first sentence just says, this is a poem about someone who lies, that isn't a claim. Your claim cannot be obvious. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 43 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent. <laughs>